You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Hey everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to this week's Outstanding Life Podcast. I want to say a big hello to all my friends listening on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM and KBFS 1450 AM. Today we have a very special guest joining us, author Chris Bryant. Chris's book is a powerful and gripping true story that uncovers a life-altering discovery he made at just 15 years old. The truth about his biological father, Robert, who tragically lost his life only eight months after Chris's birth. This discovery shook the very foundation of Chris's identity, sending him on a path of self-discovery. Throughout this episode, we'll dive into the importance of uncovering family secrets and understanding their impact on our lives. Chris's journey of resilience and transformation will inspire and motivate you to take charge of your own story. So if you're ready to unlock the power of truth, join us as we embark on this incredible journey of self-discovery and embrace an outstanding life. Get ready to be inspired right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to the author of His Name Was Robert, Chris Bryant. Chris, how are you, my friend? Hey, Johnny, I'm doing just fine. And I want to thank you. That's an excellent intro. I really appreciate it. it touches on all the key points. Chris, I've known you for a decade now, and this book was, I want to say, a surprise. Thinking that you know somebody, you don't really realize what other people go through in life. And uh, first of all, I want to say I'm very proud of you for writing this book. I can't even imagine how tough it was for you to uh, to write this book, and um, I can't wait to dive into this. Can you give us a brief summary of the story? Okay. The story was inspired by, as you stated in the intro, was inspired by uh, discovery of my biological father, which, as you also stated, that initial discovery came at the age of 15. But but beyond just the namesake or just a one line understanding that I had a distinct biological father, there was no other information granted. And uh, I carried that silently for years, just out of curiosity. I think it's important to know your identity. And I never felt that I had a full understanding of my identity. In fact, I questioned a lot of things in my life throughout the course, particularly up until I would say from my teens up into my mid thirties, things came to a boiling point eventually. Um, In fact, very recently, I would say less than two years ago. And those circumstances evolved into me having the mandate and the courage to write the book. Um, and of course it has had an impact uh, upon family relations. So that is where I am now. The book is published and I'm now, you know, dealing with the aftermath of uh, that discovery and putting it in the public atmosphere or the public platform. Well, Chris, let's start from the beginning. How at 15 years old, did you find out? I was, um, at home and I, I, I grew up in a two family, two parent household. I have five siblings. I'm the middle child between five siblings. And one day I was upstairs in the den in our home and I was the only one up in the den at that point. My mother and my older brother, they was outside on the patio and they didn't know I was inside of the den. And apparently he had done something wrong. There was some misdeed he was he, he had done. And my mother was scolding him about it. In the course of scolding him, Johnny, I heard her say to him, uh, my biological, I'm sorry, my father of today, his name is Carl. My mother's name is Kate. In the course of scolding him, I heard my mother say to him, you know that Carl is not your father. And that was a very shocking statement to me um, because I had never had any idea that that was the case. I was 15 years old. And for my older brother to obviously have known because my mother stated to him that, you know, he isn't. That was a shock to me. And it also made it clear to me that I was the only one in the household that had that that did not have that understanding. So at, at some point, though, you discovered your biological father. How did that happen? Well, th- th- it's interesting how. When I was much younger than 15, there were 
clues and indications, but I didn't understand them because of my youth. Um, um, so I think the first indication that I recall, look, I was in the sixth grade, right? And I remember one day I was searching for a clothing item and I couldn't find it inside of my bedroom. So I went to a closet in the hallway, Johnny, and there was a shoebox on the floor. And I decided to open that shoebox. And I noticed at that point, there were several old pictures piled inside. And just out of curiosity, I started sifting through the pictures. And I saw a man, tall, dark-skinned man, and he wore a plaid suit. He was holding a, a little boy in his right arm. He was holding uh, his, in his, his left arm was extended to hold the hand of a, of a little girl. And I don't know why, but I was really intrigued by that picture. It just really caught me off guard for some reason. And I continued to stare at the picture without an understanding of that level of intrigue. Um, but I knew eventually someone in the household would see me with this picture. I knew just by virtue of the fact that it was inside of a shoebox and hidden away that apparently it wasn't for uh, me to discover or for me for, for, you know, for public consumption. So I placed the picture back and later on, and in fact, the next day, you know, I went back to look at the picture again because I was so captivated by it and that shoebox was no longer there. So that was at the age of six. I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, it was, I think, a couple of years later. We did a family road trip down to uh, Albany, Georgia. My mother is from Albany, Georgia. And I remember, Johnny, I was uh, going to the car. We were visiting relatives and my mother asked me to go to the car to get something, get an item for her. And I left out of the house, walked down the driveway to get the item. And when I got to the car, Johnny, there was these two ladies standing right outside the driveway. And again, I would say at that point, I was maybe seven or eight years old. As I got closer to them, one of the ladies said, look at him. He looks just like him and he walks like him, too. And I didn't know who or what I knew they were referring to me, but I had no idea what they were talking about. They were older. I never made eye contact. But of course, I recorded that matter mentally. And when I returned to the house, gave my mother the item, she asked me to get out of the car. And I told her what I had just experienced. And she didn't say anything, Johnny, but she stood up. <laughs> and my mother walked towards the door and I followed her, but I stopped at the screen door and I watched her. She walked down the driveway and she went directly to those ladies. And I don't know what she said to them, but whatever it was, it had an impact because both of those women, both, uh, both of those women left Johnny and, and my mother came back inside of the house and she sat down very quietly and continued on as though nothing had occurred. Again, I didn't know what the matter was either, but once again, I, I I've always remembered that. So those two incidents they were in the back of my, my mind without any type of uh, parallel, without a full understanding of why they occurred. When I heard my mother say to my older brother, you know, call us not your father. Now, that happened at 15. I then instantly, Johnny, reflected upon those two incidents that I just spoke of. And I just was able to understand that, wait a minute, this was intentional. Because obviously that man whose picture I saw when I was in the sixth grade, that had to be my biological father. I didn't know why I was intrigued, but there was something inside of me that was connected to that man. And then I thought about the incident that happened in her hometown when she went to those two older ladies and she caused them to disperse. Uh, she knew that those ladies, the comment they made, she knew they were relevant to my biological father. So when I thought about those two things, it told me, it gave me a clear understanding that my mother's secrecy was not happenstance. It was intended. It was intended. I, and I won't say it was malicious, Johnny, but it was intended. And it occurred for, at that point, I was 15 years old when I was able to put two and two together by her very uh, uh, forthright confession uh, to my older brother. And so for 15 years, for 15 years, this was a secret in I still believe to this day I was the only one in the household that was not uh, aware. Last thing about that, um, I must say, my mother, excuse me, my older brother and my older sister and myself, the three of us have the same father. My younger brother and my younger sister 
their father is Carl, who we all refer to and have embraced as our father because he's the only father we've known and he's been a great provider. Chris, I, f- before I even start uh, with, with more questions, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the Outstanding Life podcast and sharing this story. <laughs> I can't even imagine how tough it is to, to tell your story. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for writing the book, but thank you for coming on the show and discussing this. Um, you know, I have to ask though, um, Chris, why do you think that your mother never discussed your biological father? Um, that's a great question. Well, mind you, when I made this discovery at 15, um, when my mother came into the house, I asked her, Johnny, what does she mean? My dad is not his father. Those were my exact words. I said, Mom, what did you mean by dad is not his father? And she never answered that question. She became belligerent. She started yelling. She basically deflected. But I never got an answer. Now, that was 15 years old. I knew by her non-response and her behavior at that point, I knew that was a delicate matter. I knew that because it had never been discussed in the household, there was programming, there there was conditioning, there was a quiet mandate. So because of that, look, I wasn't going to rebel against it. I aligned with it. So I discovered that at 15 for 20 years, Johnny, for 20 years, I never mentioned it to her again. Even once I became an adult, I was out of the household. I still communed with my family. We're a rather close-knit group. But I never raised that issue to her for 20 years. Now, I did what, – what, what, what motivated me to do it at age 35, um, you know, that were, there were three women on separate occasions, Johnny, that came to me and said, Chris, your mother said that you're just like your daddy. And I personally found that as an offense because I didn't know anything about him. I didn't, I'm sure that wasn't a compliment, <laughs> but I didn't know anything about him. The reason I found it – as a great offense, just because she has known for decades that I've always wanted information about him and I've gotten zero and I do mean zero. And for her to have uh, the boldness and what I feel was the hypocrisy to share something or make comments pertaining to him to three separate women, but never make any comments to me pertaining to him. I thought that was hypocritical. I thought it was, um, inconsiderate in a number of other things. So what does all that mean? All of that means there had to be a reason to the point of your question that she held that information and never felt comfortable talking about it. In order for me to understand that, Johnny, I had to be bold enough to move beyond family or immediate family and start my own research. And I did not even declare uh, or have the willingness and the audacity, the courage, I guess I would say, to do that until I was, I think, John, I think I was 53, 54 years old before I started my research. But after wow. finding out, yes, yes, that long, that long. So it's necessary to give you that background in order to say why I believe, why I believe that she holds it for so long. So after finally going to her hometown and finding out family members that I had that I did not even know about, uh, my biological father's brother, his name is Willie. I didn't even know the man existed until about two years ago. He has an aunt that still lives in Albany, which is only two and a half hours from where I live. So I have these relatives that I never knew existed. And uh, I was able to get in contact with them. And when I went there, Johnny, my wife with me, and I went there, we found out so many things about my biological father, which were not pleasant things, which were nothing that I'm proud of. But what was really interesting is as they told his stories, I saw so many similarities of his life in my life. And that was painful to me because I felt that had I known some of this information would have helped me to avoid certain uh, experiences that I had, certain genetic leanings that I would have been aware of and would have helped to fight against. That's not an excuse. It just means, look, we are. Genes have a purpose. (laughs) And it's great to know. (laughs) It's great to know what is inside of us. So that was a painful experience. And I made several visits there. Also part of that, I learned about how how dominant he was and how much of a philanderer and a carouser and a, and, a, and a man of the night that he was as it relates to my mother. They got married, Johnny, 
My mother married him when she was 16 years old, 16 years old. I think at that point he was about 22. He was about six years her senior. So um, he took her through a lot. And when he was, he was ultimately killed. He was killed, Johnny, in the bed of another woman. And when he was killed, my, my mother had three children, three children. I was eight months when he was killed. Uh, my mother was 22 years old. So she's 22 years old. She's a widow. She has three children and this, this man is dead and she has nowhere to go. Of course she has siblings, but her life was in turmoil at that point. And I believe that because of the pain, which was never dealt with, I mean, at that age, particularly, we didn't know anything about, you know, how, how to really get help and counseling. We just didn't. Right. So I think she held it because she was in pain. I know that she did so because she was in pain. And that's okay from the younger ages. I, I think what caused a disconnect for me is why did you hold it for five decades? For five decades. Wow. I, Chris, did you ever find out like what your dad was like? You said that, you know, you went and talked to yes, uh, some other yes. family. Can you talk a little bit about what your father was like? Again, his name was Robert. He lived a very fast and obviously a brief life. I know he didn't graduate from high school. I'm not so sure about elementary school. Um, he started running. At that point, in the 19... Um, this was early, I think it was 1940s, I believe it is. Yeah. The, alcohol was legal, legal, I believe, in certain states in Georgia around that time. But but what I'm sorry, in certain counties in Georgia, but the counties could select whether they were, they were wet or dry. Well, the county he lived in, did not allow alcohol. So moonshine was huge at that point. It was huge. And so he didn't graduate from high school. So he made money running moonshine uh, for underground networks. Of course, politically connected powerful underground networks because moonshine was such a huge industry. Georgia was one of the uh, most prominent states as related to moonshine. So that was a huge part of his lifestyle. There were arrests because of it. Of course, there were violent exchanges uh, because of it. He was um, known to carry, a, I think it was a Mossberg pump shotgun. He carried pistols, he carried knives in and not for being, for offending people, but he defended himself and sometimes to the extreme. There were several arrests um, because of the lifestyle that he, lead, that he lived. Before he married my mother, and this is, these are all things that I discovered during my visits, he had been married before. Uh, I think he was 22 when he married my mother. He had been married prior to her. I think that marriage was about three years. So he started very young. He had two daughters by his previous wife. And I am told that he fiercely abused his wife, uh, his former wife. I am told that uh, the wife and the daughters, they left him and moved down to Florida. Uh, they are All three are now deceased. So uh, shortly after that, he encountered my mother. He married her when she was 16 and he continued in his lifestyle of bootlegging. He continued in his lifestyle of just just the the nighttime behaviors. And they ultimately moved to Atlanta where his behavior became much more uh, it, it multiplied. You know, the things that he was doing in Auburn, which is a smaller town, magnified when he came to Atlanta. So here, my, here is my mother with a gentleman who has she has three children by him. He wasn't he had a couple jobs, Johnny. Uh, they didn't necessarily last long. He did work at a company that was called Georgia Nuts and Bolt Company. And uh, he uh, he lost a finger there. So he, he separated from that company. And from there, he just continued in a nightlife uh, with the women, the drinking, the clubbing, just just, you know, the criminality. Um, And when he met his fate, yeah, he was in the bed of another woman. And that woman was either married or involved with another man. Not sure the case. But when he came to that house, Johnny, uh, he he killed my father. Wow. And I was eight months at the time. So he was he was truly a ruffian. Yeah. And yeah, truly a ruffian. C- my Chris, mother went through a lot with him. Chris, it's hard for me to believe with all your brothers and sisters, family members, your entire family retained this secret. Did anybody ever 
try to tell you the truth? No, no, not at all. So here's here's what's interesting. I again, I have two brothers and two sisters. So it's just five of us that grew that was in the household, and my mother now. She was one of 11 children in the household, one of 11. In fact, she was the second oldest of all the children. So that means I have numerous aunts, uncles, and cousins. Obviously, they knew about Robert in his life because my mother was his sister. So you have that dynamic of silence. And then you have the dynamic of my family silence because, again, two brothers, two sisters, and no, and, and no one ever said, said a word. Now, Really quickly, my father, I, I refer to him as my father of today. I don't because I don't want to say stepfather, John. I've never called him my stepfather. Listen, he was his name is Carl. He was in my life when I was in diapers. At some point before my biological father was killed, my mother left him. They didn't get divorced, but she separated from him shortly before he was killed. After she separated from him. I don't know if she met my father today just before he was killed or just afterwards, but the time frame was pretty short. She had she had she had to get a job finally. Okay. So she got a first job. I think at that point she was probably 17, right? Maybe 16, 17. Uh no, I'm sorry. She had me, so I'm gonna say she was about 19 or 20. So she had gotten her first job. She met this man who ultimately became her husband, who ultimately became our father, the father of her three children. And they got married when I was three years old. And he really lifted up my family, Johnny. He yeah. lifted up my family. What a stand-up man. To, yes, yes. And he brought us to a solid middle-class status. He's the only father that the three that I have ever known, my older brother and older sister, briefly knew Robert because you know they, they remember him as they were young. But he's the only father I've ever known at all. They have two children together, so I have so I have a half brother and a half sister. Never referred to them as, as that. We're all one family. So my mother is a matriarch. God knows I love her. She's a beautiful woman. She uh, there's so many things I learned from her. So many positive traits that she has. I can commend her in a thousand and one ways. I think if there's one flaw that led to much of this, uh, the 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 reign of family secrecy, it is pride. Because my mother was so influential among her siblings because she was the second oldest. She was a mother when the parents were not there. When the parents were out working at night, cleaning homes, her dad was a bootlegger also. When they were away, my mother was the mother. So her brothers and sisters, they revered her, justifiably so. So um, my older siblings revered her, justifiably so. So did my father today. So because she was so hurt and maligned by my biological father and never wanted to discuss him, everyone else followed suit. Everyone else followed suit. That is why family gatherings, I'm 10, 12, 15 years old. No one ever mentioned Robert. No one ever mentioned that there was another man who was the father of three, the, the three older, older children. That's no crazy. Aunt, no uncle, no cousin. And we have a large family. No one ever said it. So... It was done because of my mother's influence and her impact. She's a, she has a way with people and she is not a mouthy woman. And I don't mean that offensively. I mean, of course she gets her point across, but she's quiet. She's skillful and she's effective. <laughs> right. Doesn't mean she's, I don't, you know, Obviously and, it worked. <laughs> and let me say there's some manipulation there that is, but, but I, the, the initial reason for that, Johnny, for her secrecy, the initial reason was pain. And I understand that. After what Robert took her through, she was in so much pain she didn't want to talk about it. That part I get. Where that becomes less tolerant for me is I would say I have to keep in mind that, wait a minute, she received a savior. When I was three years old, my father today married her when I was three. And he lifted us out of poverty, Johnny. So... And we were solid middle class. So I think now, wait a minute, at 15 years old, my mother has been married to someone who has been her savior. When I was 15, she had been married to him for 12 years. Again, we were in a solid middle class community. Things were well. So I think at that point, the pain, 
I don't believe the pain about Robert was still there. I don't. I think it turned into pride. Right. Because because she had evolved into stability. She had evolved into a nice environment. And I think what was pain became pride. Pain prevented her from sharing information with me about Robert when I was young. Pride prevented her from sharing information about him when I got older. So let me ask you this, Chris. What motivated you? What inspired you to write the book? Okay, so fast forward to 2018. 2018, again, had nothing about him. Well, I'm sorry. Let me go back a little, Johnny. Let me go back a little. Um, I said that when I was 35, for 20 years, after hearing my mother say that, I never asked her about him, and that's true. And I mentioned the things about how she said to the, something pertaining to my biological father to three separate women. Yes. When I finally asked her about him at the age of 35, the only thing my mother said to me was, Chris, all that I can tell you is that he is dead and that's good. That's the only thing she said to me. This man had been deceased, deceased at that point for three and a half decades. Three and a half decades. Wow. Say and that again, only, Chris. She, she said to me, Chris, all that I can tell you is that he is dead and that's good. Oh, my gosh. I just got end of, chill bumps. End of, end of story. End of, she said nothing else. And this is, again, 20 years after I heard her say to my father, you know, Carl is not my brother, that you know, Carl is not your father. So obviously the pain, something was still there. Pain, or I think it was pride. So that was at 35, 20-something years later. I got married, Johnny, at the age of uh, 52, <laughs> I should know this, man. But I hope my wife don't hear this. <laughs> I got married at the age of 52. That was in 2019. 2018. 2018, John, I had to get uh, extended version of my uh, birth certificate. I'm 52 years old at that point. 52, right? And I got I went downtown, bought a records to get that birth certificate. And for the first time in my life, I saw information about Robert on this legal document about, you know, my, my my mother, when she changed my last name, I never knew my last name it used to be Lucas. I never knew that. Uh, I did not know they were married. I'm saying they're married now, but I didn't know they were married because that was never spoken to me. I found out they were married at the age of 52 by looking at a vital document. And when I saw that, Johnny, everything just just, you know, those chills inside of me. I saw his name. I saw that they were married. I saw that my last name was changed from Lucas to Brian. And I knew that was factual information that couldn't be manipulated by anyone. I had never been told that truth. That was at 52. Now, shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter, I discovered that I have a, a, I, I received genetic proof that I have a biological daughter. Didn't know that. Johnny, until I was until the, at that point, she was 31 years old. And when I received that information, I started communing with her and bringing her down to family and so forth. It was shameful to me. That I couldn't tell her anything about her grandfather. Now, I have a son also. Now, my son has always been in my life. I was in the in the birthing room with him, but I've never been able to tell him anything about his grandfather. So here I am now discovering that I have an adult daughter and I still can't do it. At that point, I decided, you know what? I'm not waiting anymore. This is nonsense because it continues to go from generation to generation. So those experiences uh, inspired me to start visiting Albany, calling people, asking to introduce me to relatives. Chris, did anyone in your family know that you started writing a book and, and you know, going out and finding information out on your own? Or did you even go to them? Well, well, I knew I couldn't go to them. That wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Okay. That's, that's a non-starter. Um, but when I was inspired to do it by the story that I sh just shared with you, I now, I did, I was able to call a couple aunts and uncles who probably thought it's about time. <laughs> so, and, and, and they quietly, discreetly gave me information. And then I used that information to contact relatives in Albany. And that's when I started making my, my visits. Now, this is important. I, I think I was 53 at the time, I guess. I had never seen a picture of this man. Now, when I saw that picture and I was in the sixth grade, I had no idea that was him. So 53 years old, I'm standing before these relatives that I never knew that I had. And they showed me a picture of Robert. Man, I was like a kid. I nearly, I nearly just broke down in tears because I saw it this man for the first time in life. And when they told me those stories, okay, 
They told me those stories and I saw my likeness in him and I knew I felt cheated. I said, damn, I had just known a few things. Maybe I could have made better decisions in certain regards, but I knew nothing. I got a chance to go to his grave site. And I realized when I was at the grave site, look, 50 years ago, 55 years ago, when this man was killed and you were born, your mother, your siblings, at least one of them, your father of today, maybe, they were at this funeral. They were at this very grave site. And nobody ever told you where the man was buried. So when I encountered those feelings and I came back to Atlanta, I was angry. I was hurt. And I just wanted to explode on the inside, you know, and but I needed to get this out in a constructive manner. So I like to write. So I wrote an article about my discovery and I Posted on Facebook, Johnny. And I have a couple of family members that are my Facebook friends. That's how they discovered that I went to Albany and discovered information about my father. And that, Johnny, was maybe two and a half years ago. Okay. Chris, I got a quick question. I, and I don't want to interrupt you, but I do have a quick, quick question. When you saw that photo of your father, mm. is mm. that the same photo on the cover of your book? It is. It is. Wow. And, and, Chris, my <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's the same photo on the cover of my book. My, you look uh, just like your father. Him. Look, Johnny, when I posted this up to Facebook, my son looks more like him. And there were people that said, you know what, you look look like your father, but your father looks, your son looks more like your father than you, wow. and he does. He absolutely does. So the genes are strong. Um, yeah. So. That was a difficult thing to write that article and to go live with it, because with my family's level of of their, their closeness, their alliance with never rehashing or discussing the past to any degree, that particularly in a public platform, that broke and violated that rule. Right. So when I did it. And, and mind you, the only reason I did it is because I needed to get that out of me and I couldn't go to my family and do it. There's no way they would have had that discussion. They would have slammed the door. They would have disconnected the phone. I would have gotten nowhere. And at a certain point in time, you have to respect a person's choice, whether you agree with it or not. On three occasions, you know, my mother had, you know, at least three or four occasions that I prompted or that was naturally prompted to talk to me about him. And she never did it. And the last time when I did so, and she said, the only thing that I can tell you is that he's dead and that's good. That prevented me from ever going back again. I said, you know what? I have to respect her choice. She doesn't want to discuss this. I have to respect that no one in my family wants to discuss this. So, but that doesn't mean I cannot discuss it. I just believe if you can't talk with a person of meaning and who is a relevant factor, then hell, you'll talk to strangers. So yep. my writing of that article was a method of talking to strangers. So Chris, you start journaling and stuff like that. I, I got to ask, man, how did, how did you feel after you completed and published this book? How did, how did you feel? Okay. Well, let me go back with just, just, with just one thing. After I published that article, Johnny, listen, here's what I quietly hoped, quietly hoped. Again, I knew I couldn't go to them. I quietly hoped their mom would like, you know, send me a text and say, Chris, look, I never talked to you about your father. I see that you made some discoveries. You know, you went live on Facebook and the article was respectful. I didn't out my family. I just talked about my dis discovering him. But she, she could have said, you know, we never talked about this. So let's let's just sit down and have a conversation. Johnny, that would have been great. I would have accepted it. I would have done it. I love my mother endlessly. We could have had a single conversation. We don't have to catalog this man's life. We don't have to talk about him every week. We could have had a single conversation. And you know what? I would have left it. Yep. But she never called. She never texted. No one in my family even acknowledged it. And at that point, after what happened, I said, you talk to strangers when you can't talk to anyone else. I received so many comments from that article, so many condolences and people who understood it. People say, I went through something similar to this. You're bold, you're brazen. This sounds like a movie. Please write a book about it. That article, in addition to my family's unwillingness to discuss a very necessary matter, that that is what led to the equation of me being determined and compelled to write the book. Wow. So your mother hasn't talked to you since that article. That's correct. That is correct. I had to think, think briefly because I don't want to, you know, right. Misquote anything. But again, that article 
was written, Johnny, November 20, no, I'm sorry, December 2021. Since that time, I've not spoken with anyone in my family, with the exception of my older brother who lives in Germany. He and I have spoken. We have had, uh, what do you call it, WhatsApp, you know, video calls. Yep. But no, I've not spoken with my parents nor any other sibling. I wrote the book. The book was published February of this year. And I no, still have not spoken with anyone. And I don't know what's next. I don't. So how did you feel after you, you know, you, you send it in, you write the book, you publish it, you get it back. I mean, were you like, holy cow. I mean, I'm really doing this. I'm really putting it out there. That was my emotion and sentiment from the time I even started writing the manuscript. I knew once again that I was crossing the red line. I knew that it could have a permanent negative impact with, you know, in terms of relationships with my family. Um, and that's that in and of itself. It was hurtful for me to, to me then. It's hurtful to me now. But I fully examined um, the risks factor, so to speak. I knew that I was dealing with the pain of the revelation and the pain of the history, uh, whether I published the book or not. That pain was still there. What I needed to do was find a way to neutralize it, find a way to address it. So I anticipated experiencing what I am now, which is really, unfortunately, a total, absolute disassociation with my family. That's not what I want. That's just the reality of it. And I have to say this. That is painful and regretful. I can't see my nieces and nephews, man. I love I love kids and, and I and I miss them dearly. But I have no regrets for having written the book. And I intend to vigorously promote the book and market the book because it is a truth. And I think it's a story that needs to be told. The book is 77,000 words. I I was very transparent. So much so that some of it is embarrassing to myself because I've I've always felt if you are going to the book is not a tell all, but it does tell the story of the experiences. And if I'm going to tell stories that are not so pleasant regarding family members, I need to tell stories that I've done that were not so pleasant as well. So it's very revelatory, Johnny. And it's a hard read. People have told me Chris is brutal. Uh, because the story is brutal and the way that I tell it in colorful form has a level of, of sentiment as well. Um, but once again, I, I must say I have no regret and I have every full intent of aggressively marketing the book. Do you think, Chris, that your family, anybody in your family has picked up the book and maybe read it? <laughs> I chuckle a little because my daughter who visits me she's 30 she's 33 now she visited me recently and uh and and i encourage her to go and see my mother and my family uh they live about i don't know 40 minutes from me and she went down and before she left johnny i said baby i asked you one thing i said whatever you discuss with them if it's anything pertaining to me i said i don't know i said I don't want you to volunteer information to me and I'm not going to ask you. I said, I don't want to hear it. I said, you can discuss anything you want, but please don't bring it back to me. That was our understanding. She left. She wanted to see my family. When she came back, Johnny, you know, my mother's masterful. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, she, she fulfilled every request that I made, except for that, except for that one line. She said, your mother said she'll never read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I, my family, to my knowledge, have stated they will not read it. But Johnny, I got to tell you something. I don't believe it. I don't believe it because I am a writer and I told things that were, you know, 30, 40 years. I told the full story and you're not going to have that type of content published about you and not read at least the portions pertaining to you. So yes, I believe they have. Now I'm okay with that because I told the truth. I told the truth. And I, you may say, why did you tell the story? But you can't say, why did you tell a lie? Right. Amen, brother. Chris, how can, how can, how can people find your book? At ckblucas.com. C-K-B- Lucas.com. My name is Christopher Keith Bryant. I attached Lucas as a pen name because that was my biological father's last name. So my name is Christopher Keith Bryant, 
A biological father's last name was Lucas. My pen name is CKD Lucas, and that's the website, ckdlucas.com. And the book is sold on Amazon. I love it. Uh, Chris, let me ask you this. How has this affected you personally? I can't imagine taking these last, you know, four and five years exploring all this, writing a book. I, I, I can't imagine this not affecting you personally. No, it, it, it does affect me personally because once again, I love my family. We are close knit. Um, but so so this has been a dividing road for me because I, I'm not in communication with them. I hope and pray that that one day changes. Uh, um, I, I do have a I do have a principle, though. My principle is that, you know, I didn't malign them. I didn't keep secrets from them. Um, I didn't you know, create fairy tales of denial. So I don't have anything to go back and plead and apologize or request acceptance about. So the pain is there of being separated from my family, but so is the standard of knowing that what I've done was justified. Now, aside from that, I appreciate having a wife. I appreciate having children uh, because that increases my comfort, my strength, it grants solace. Um, So the pain is there, but there's also confidence and a certain amount of healing that is starting to take place as well. Chris, I know, um, you know, being an author myself, I know how tough it is when people give you criticism, when you put your heart and soul into something, Mm -hmm. has anybody given you any criticism and feedback from the book? That's interesting. There has been people who have stated a principle that I agree with. You shouldn't put things like that about your family in the public atmosphere, in the general public. That's criticism. And I agree with that criticism. There's been people have stated, Chris, this book is brutal. It is brutal. And I agree with that as well. But I always ask them when they say that, is the book brutal because of what I'm stating? Is the book brutal because of the way I express what was done? Or is the book brutal because of what was done? Nine times out of 10, they've said to me both. And I'm accepting of that because you can't tell a brutal story in a decorous way. You can tell it in a diplomatic way, but you can't tell it in a cartoonish way. Right. So I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't accept that necessarily as a criticism, but to say that I am not, you, you shouldn't publish things like this about your family. That's a criticism that I agree with. And if there was a way that I could have addressed it, Johnny, without writing it, I absolutely would have. Those doors were closed and they still are closed. And I've always believed, I have always believed you really, really cannot silence anyone. You just can't. When we have an issue in the household, my daughter of today, my young daughter, she's my daughter by marriage. If she has a problem, and her mother doesn't want to talk to her. I correct that. No, you got to talk to her. Let her get it out. Right. You have to let people express themselves. You have to talk about difficult scenarios and instances, because if you don't, those expressions are going to take place in another form. So despite those two specific areas of criticism, Johnny, again, I remain confident that I've done what was right and what was just. And I do believe it will help people who are dealing with family secrets and pride and feeling that their scenario is unique. It probably isn't. Chris, I am so proud of you. I I really am. And I'm not saying that because I'm a friend of yours. I'm saying that because so many people keep things bottled up inside them. And and in some sort of strange way, this was therapy for you as well to sit down and, and write this book. And, you know, we all have a story to tell. Um, and, and that being said, what advice would you give to some aspiring writer who, you know, who wants to write their own book? Thank you, Johnny. In terms of advice, I'm going to be partial here and I'm going to specify my advice to men because, see, there was emotions that drove me to write this book. And see, we as men, we bury our emotions. We deny them. We defy them. We do a lot of things to disregard that they exist. But I knew if I did that, it would be destructive for me. My wife even told me shortly after the the first visit to Albany, when I came home, I was mentally in the doldrums for quite some time. And she said to me, she said, Chris, she said, you are bringing down the spirit of this household. That's what she said. Wow. Because because I wasn't dealing with it the right way. So here I am bringing that negative dark energy into my household because I wasn't dealing with the property. So what I would say to men, I personally don't feel good about doing this. Someone could say he's 56 years old whining about his mama didn't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, they can say that. But here's the reality of it. 
whether we admit it or not, men have and are affected by emotions. And when we are, it dominates everything around us. So I would say to men who have emotional issues to address, if writing is a platform they're familiar with or if they know someone who can deduce their concerns to writing, I would say do it. I love that. Chris, uh, do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets writing this book? No, but I have a regret that there were actions that dictated the necessity to write the book. Wow. That's what I regret. Yeah, yeah. Chris, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical because you've said several times that uh, your mom hasn't reached out to you and probably never will. But if you had the opportunity, if we got done with this podcast and she rang the the bell at at your front door and and she said, Chris, I want to talk, what would you say to your mom? Wow. Um, I would, first I would hug her, (laughs) tell her that I love her. And I would tell her, unless it's something that she wants to do, we don't have any reason to talk. We don't have to talk about, we don't have to talk about Robert. We don't have to talk about the past. I would say to her that if you want to talk about how we can just move forward and be a loving and united family again, we can discuss that. And Johnny, the reason I would say that to her is because, see, what I hunger and thirst for, I've now been satiated. I have it. I needed information about my father. I needed information about my identity. I needed information about his history. I need to fill that gap of information for my own mental strength. I've done it. So it's too late to have those conversations. Now, those conversations hold no value for me now. That is the good thing about this. If my family and I, if my mother wanted to convene again, we don't have to have that discussion. Let's just say we love each other, hold each other, get a kiss on the cheek, and uh, see you guys at the next barbecue. It's that simple. Would you <laughs> now? Would you let, like let to me hear? Go, well, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just. I'm, I'm just. I just wanted to ask you real quick, Chris. Would Would you like to hear? I'm sorry. Gosh, man. You know what? I say that in the book that my mother was unapologetic. She was never apologizing. Look, let me say it. My siblings say that also. They may not say it to her, but she's never apologized for a thing she has done, nothing that she has said, never in life has the word, I'm sorry, I apologize, ever exited her mouth, at least in my witness or the witness of my sisters, I mean my siblings, never. So I don't expect that now. Um, Yes, it would make a difference. Yes, I would accept it, but I don't think that's a realistic expectation. Um, she is who she is, Johnny. I mean, she's, she's a loving, beautiful woman. I just, it's just something inside of her that has a a, a core of steel and nothing can break it. And, and and I guess I'm okay with that because I kind of understand that makeup as well, but it's all, it's too late now. It's too late. The one conflict that I have with reconvening with my family, the one and only conflict that I have is I can get to the next family gathering, love everybody, and have a great conversation. But you know what, Johnny? I put 77,000 words in a book, and I put tears in that book. I put history in that book. So I'm going to market that book even though, even though I can love my family and convene with them at the same time. That's where the contrast is or the conflict. You go to a family gathering, and then you go market a book that, in their eyes, disparages them. So if the choice is to be with my family and not market this book or market this book and maintain isolation, I take the isolation. It's too late now in that regard. Chris, I've said it already and I'm going to say it again. I'm just so proud of you stepping up and writing something so hard and being able to inspire and motivate people because you're not the only one that has gone through this. And and I can't wait for people to to um, you know read your book. One last question before I wrap it up, Chris. Um, what do you want readers to take away from your book and your stories? What's one thing you want them to take away from it? Family secrets 
are not productive or healthy. Communication is vital. You ask for one, but I'm going to give you a compound. Family secrets are not productive. They're unhealthy. Communication is vital. It's just that simple. Wow. Chris, again, how can people find your book? ckblucas.com or you can go directly to Amazon. The name of the book is His Name Was Robert. Chris Bryant, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Outstanding Life podcast, hanging out with us. Uh, any, any any last you know um, thoughts that, that you would like to share? Yes, I would. Um, for those who get the book, I ask you to read it from the beginning to the end and then render judgment. Read it from the beginning to the end and then render judgment. One really quick story. There's a lady that I respect tremendously. She was reading the book. She probably got to chapter three or four. And she called me. She said, Chris, you should not say these things. People don't need to know these things occurred in your family. Uh, This was not the right thing to do. And again, my mother's name is Kate. She said the things that you stated Kate did didn't need to be shared. I I listened to her. I heard her. I didn't, you know, I didn't. You know, negate what she stated. I accepted it. We said, okay, goodbye. Uh, we'll talk again. She called me three to four weeks later and she said, Chris, I can't do Kate. <laughs> <laughs> she said, This I cannot do. This behavior was wrong. So that is my point. Read the book from the beginning to the end and then render judgment. Chris Bryant, again, how can people find the book one last time? Amazon, his name was Robert, or go to ckblucas.com. That website has excerpts. It has images. So it gives you a little more information before you decide to make a purchase, okay? So ckblucas.com. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, Chris Bryant, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Outstanding Life Podcast. And again, everybody, I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Motivational Cowboy. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker for your next event, make sure you check out motivationalcowboy.com. We'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Hey, I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And don't forget to check out my Outstanding Life podcast every Sunday here on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM and KBFS 1450 AM. Have an outstanding day. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day.